Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, 2 Thessalonians. Um, I hope everybody got notes. And we're going to jump back into this study. A couple of reminders. Um, The ladies' uh, Mother's Day luncheon is this Saturday. So, uh, again, sign up has ended. But if you didn't make it, just come if you want to come. Again, the the tickets are going to be separate, so you don't have to pay anyone in advance. You'll pay when you get there. Um, and then this coming Sunday, of course, is our Mother's Day service. Uh, you don't want to miss that. We've got special gifts, and we're going to have a drawing again for uh, five mothers out there. So you want to be here. Uh, invite those mothers that may not have uh, church homes and uh, see what God will do on that day. Um, in this the study, the last time that we were in it, I want to remind you of a couple of things that we saw. The first thing was this, that uh, the truth is not evolving, and that's something that um, will never happen. The truth is the truth regardless of circumstances, regardless of culture. The truth remains because it comes from God, and God is never changing. He's, he's always the same. And so uh, truth is not evolving. However, there is a great falling away. There's a great apostasy that is evolving, that's growing, it's increasing. Um, and, I, and I said last time that we were in this that I believe that we are right smack dab in the middle of it, maybe near the end of it. I, I think that this, this uh, great falling away has taken over, uh, and, and, and I think it's very evident in America today. And so um, it's sad, but I think it also can speak to us, and, and we can do some things uh, about that. But the Apostle Paul was teaching that the day of the Lord hadn't come yet. Uh, these Thessalonian believers were worried that the persecution they were facing, the tribulation that they were going, to, uh, going through was signs that the day of the Lord had come and the judgment they were facing was part of God's judgment on their lives. Um, but Paul was correcting this wrong mentality or this wrong thought by saying there's some things that have to happen, particularly three things that have to happen before the day of the Lord uh, comes to, to, to this world. The first thing we mentioned in the last message was this great apostasy. The great apostasy has to take place. That has to be going on first. Now, we know that there has been an apostasy in a sense throughout the church history. I mean, there, I mean, you could point at different points in time and say, man, that was a great apostasy of believers. Uh, But today I think is a very unique time of apostasy. uh, And it it is very uh, descriptive or the, the, the scriptures are very descriptive of what we're seeing, I think, today, lived out before our eyes. And so uh, it's happening and it's growing. I shared an article in the last message as well that addresses, uh, you know, church member commitment, some signs of the lack of commitment, the sign of uh, the weakness of the church and all those things. And so just as a recap, uh, here are those, those few things. The first thing was this. Uh, Here's why commitment is so low is because we're minimizing the importance of the local church, minimizing the the importance of the local church, and specifically the ones, uh, the one that you are a member of. Uh, The local church is important. That's what we see throughout all the the letters of Paul. He's writing to those local assemblies, and again, uh, today we see them all over the city, all over the, the state, all over the country, all over the world, local bodies 
uh, accomplishing the, the purpose of the kingdom of God. And so, uh, but when we do this, when we minimize the importance of a local church, we are less likely to attend. A few drops of rain, this article said, will keep people away from church. And this is what he said. He said it won't keep, keep people from sitting three hours in a downpour to watch their favorite team, but it'll keep them from going to church sometimes. Uh, same thing with you know, headaches and, and all that kind of stuff. But, and I'm not trying to minimize like migraines and serious things that keep you down. But uh, The second thing was we worship the idols of activities. He said many members will replace a day in their church with a day at the kids' soccer or softball games or sleeping off uh, the hangover of the previous day's activities. And it's sadly true. Number three, we take a lot of vacations from church. He said he's not anti-vacation at all, and neither am I. I mean, I think that we need to take vacations to, just to, to get apart, rest, be with family, rejuvenate, re-energize. Uh, but he said 20 years ago, we, we would make certain that we attended a church somewhere, that we, we did everything within our power not to miss church services. And it seems like even today that people are taking vacations from church, just a vacation from church. Um, and so the fourth thing he said, we don't have high expectations of our members. Um, any purposeful organization expects and gets much of its members, whether it's a sports team or civic organization. It's ironic that most churches do not come close to being a high expectation church. And everybody in here that's a member knows you went through our new members class. And we put those expectations out there. We expect you to be faithful. We expect you to be a part. We expect you to serve and to, to do your part because we're here together doing all of this together. It's not just about one person or a small group of people. It's about all of us. Um, and so high expectations. And the fifth thing was this. We make infrequent attendees leaders in our churches. And again, uh, we have to make sure that there's a high standard in the church uh, that the Lord has instituted. Also uh, shared these eight traits of fully engaged members. If you didn't uh, get this, and I encourage you to go back online and look at uh, this, the, the sermon before this one to get that because very, very important and helpful stuff. Um, but hopefully, we're fighting against this growing departure of the faith that our church is different, that we're not falling into some of these uh, categories that make weak churches even weaker. Um, so with that, let's pray and we'll move forward and see what God has for us tonight. Father, thank you for this time again. We thank you for all the blessings we've experienced so far, the opportunity to just come in here and set the world outside, set our thoughts, set ourselves aside, focus on you once again in the middle of this week. And even if it's for a short while, God, I pray that we would enjoy this time of focusing and worshiping you, Lord. Thank you for the music we've already experienced, the opportunity to give to you tangibly, uh, that part of our worship. And now as we give our focus to you and your word, I ask that you would just help us to stay fully engaged, God, that we would... I give the attendance to your word that it's, it's due, the respect and the reverence that you deserve and your word deserves. And I pray that you would speak to us tonight. I pray that you would start with me, go, th go throughout this entire building and work in our hearts and our lives that we could be better unified, we'd have a, a greater strength um, and be able to be more effective for your kingdom cause. And uh, Lord, if there is someone here tonight that's lost, they're in darkness, they're in sin, I pray that tonight would be the night that they give their life to you, that they would be freed from that sin, uh, freed from the shackles of, uh, of, of the enemy, and um, they receive that free gift of eternal life. I'll just move tonight, and I pray you'd use me as a vessel, that you would be glorified in you alone. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So, again, three things have to happen for sure before the day of the Lord happens. The first thing is the great apostasy must come. And then now we move into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the last part of verse 3. And it's this. The second thing is this. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth, opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, this man of lawlessness has to be revealed. This, this uh, person that's fully characterized by sin. Now, um, a, a short, shortly after this, um, there, were, um, you know, there was an attack on Jerusalem. There was um, a, a ruler that comes and, and, and sits in the temple after the temple is destroyed and declares himself to be God. Uh, many people say, well, that, that's what that was talking about. Um, I think there were some other things that have to go on. It's not necessarily what's go, uh, what was going on then. And since then, have happened uh, in the history of, of the world. And so I, I think that we are still waiting for this man of lawlessness to be revealed. I, f I feel like that uh, he could be revealed. And uh, maybe uh, the layers being peeled back, uh, you know, throughout the time, throughout years, uh, possibly, of who this person is. But we have to understand that those who know what sin is will be able to recognize this because the Bible says that he is a man of lawlessness. He's a man full, fully described by sin. So those of us who know what sin is, we'll be able to identify this person is a person of prominence, and they are nothing but sin. They, they, they encapsulate that. Now, those who live in sin, uh, I believe this will be someone uh, that, that's somewhat of a hero, someone that they look to and think is, is just amazing and awesome, someone who actually facilitates sin. But here's the thing. Uh, I believe that this person is going to be defined by deceit. They are going to be a deceiver, the best of the deceivers. And again, the Bible says that they are the son of perdition, or the word is destruction in the Greek. And so... This person is, is uh, out to destroy. This person is characterized by sin. Uh, those of us who know what sin is will be able to recognize this person. And uh, again, I, I want us to remember a couple of things as we think about this person. We know that the enemy of God, our enemy, Satan, Scripture tells us that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. So this person of lawlessness, this person that is a destructive person, is the agent of the enemy himself. So when we look at who this person is, we can't say, well, maybe, no, no, no. It's going to be very clear that he is the agent of Satan. Again, Paul is, is writing to these Thessalonian believers, uh, but it speaks to us today. When we're looking at what Satan's plan is, what Satan does, we realize that many antichrists have already come into the world. Even in, even in Paul's day, Jesus' day, it was happening. Many antichrists have, have already come and have gone. Uh, the other day, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago, actually, uh, Rochelle and I were winding down. I was watching a show on, um, I don't know, it was like a, a biography channel or whatever, uh, about David Koresh, right? Uh, some of you, or, or most of us probably, except for the young ones, are familiar with uh, who David Koresh is. And uh, it's so interesting. I didn't know some of the backstory of how he actually came into power, and uh, I knew that there was, it was a perverted doctrine that he was, he was sharing, but 
Uh, he was. His name wasn't even David Koresh. He gave himself that name. And so it's so interesting to see how, uh, you know, and there have been many people throughout time who had followers following them into error and deception. But different from others, this man will have all the other circumstances that we talked about last week surrounding his time um, and, and those verses that have to do with that. You can write these down if you want to and go look, but we, we talked about some of them in the last, uh, not last week, but the last message. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, James chapter 5, 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 3. I know that's a lot. If you need those, I can give them to you. Um, later on, but th those talk about what it's going to look like at the end of time, the way people are going to be, the way the times are going to be, um, all, all those things. So we looked at that. These realities are upon us. I mean, we look at the disobedience of children. We look at the love of man for himself. We look at the disregard for the things of God, the, um, the, 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 all these things instead of the love of God, this love of, 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 of things and and so, again, all this stuff is, is upon us. And so this man of lawlessness is a real person, and he is going to re be revealed and inspired by a real enemy. This is, uh, I, I, and the reason why I feel like God put this on my heart is because sometimes I think that we live in a fantasy world in, in, of our own making. Um, no, we, we believe that, that Satan is real whenever bad things happen to us, right? That, that's what, that's what we, we do whenever... Uh, you know, we start to get discouraged or our health or uh, we can see what it looks like an attack in someone else's life. We start talking about Satan. We start talking about the enemy. But we've got to realize that he's a real enemy. Always looking, always lurking, always trying to find a way to accomplish his purpose. Even when we're doing good. Even when things are great. Even when we're... we're, we're Experiencing all the blessings of God, the enemy of God is real. And he's still working to figure out how he's going to accomplish his plan against the Lord. And so this evening, I think that we need to remember a few things, or a couple things, in light of uh, the end times again. And specifically talking about this, uh, this enemy. So point number one is this. We must remember that we have a real enemy. He's real. He, he, he's as real as we see each other right now. He is, he is spiritually real. He is active in this world. The Bible says that he's the prince and the power of this air. That God has given him uh, the ability to go to and fro. Uh, even in scripture we see in the story of Job that he can go before God. Uh, now he doesn't live and he doesn't have the access that the saints of God has. But he can go before the throne of God and as the accuser of the brethren call, call our guilt before the Lord. Um, that's what he did to Job. And uh, again, he's a real enemy. He's the father of lies according to scripture. And so the apostle Paul uh, telling these Thessalonian believers, this is going to happen. This is real. There's a real enemy that's pushing this man of lawlessness out into uh, his, his revealing in the world. And so I, I want to go back a little bit in uh, scripture in, in, in Corinthians because the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he was having to defend his sincerity as an apostle against those who were criticizing him. Uh, there were people that were false apostles, false prophets. They were trying to get, gain a following, 
And so they were going behind the Apostle Paul and trying to undermine him and criticize him and basically say, we're doing the same exact things except for these people were doing it for gain. They were doing it for fame. They were doing it for the wrong reasons. And the Apostle Paul essentially tells them, look, I came to you, Corinthians, and I didn't ask anything from you. Paul was, was building tents. He, 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 even when he was in need, he would take gifts from other churches while he was with the Corinthian church. Uh, because of these accusations and because of these other uh, false prophets and false apostles, um, so they were trying to gain this, this secular, or in, from a secular perspective, a fleshly perspective, this following. So Paul reminded these Corinthians, um, these challenges were real. And that's why he didn't take anything from them. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he explained about the enemy and the enemy's tactics. And so when we consider that there's a real enemy, here's what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church concerning what was going on against him. He says, but what I do... That, will, uh, that I will do, that I may cut off or undermine occasion uh, the claims from them which desire uh, to be claiming that they were, they wherein, uh, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. Again, they were claiming to be the same as Paul, and they were working the same way, and they were boasting about it, trying to undermine the authority and the power uh, that God had given to Paul. He goes on in verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming or disguising themselves into the apostles of Christ. And look what he says. And no marvel. It's no wonder that they do that. Why? He says because Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He does it himself. Therefore it's no great thing if his ministers, his servants, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. And then so what he says here whose end shall be according to their works. I think the Apostle Paul was referring to Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7 when he was addressing false teachers. And, and, and near the end of Matthew chapter 7, he says this in verse 20, 21, very familiar scripture, talking about false prophets, talking about false teachers, which also would apply to anybody who's you know, not sincerely a Christian, um, but specifically about false teachers and false prophets. Look what it says. Not everyone shall, uh, that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So what's the opposite? What's the alternative here? If you're not doing the will of the Father, which is in heaven, you're doing the will of the enemy that's not in heaven. So he says that, uh, you know, he that doeth the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I, I never knew you. Depart from me that work iniquity. That's a scary thought. The, the, the truth is this. Paul was telling the Corinthians back then, almost 2,000 years ago, there are people that are working under the guise of righteousness. There are people that are working under the guise of Christ, calling him Lord, teaching and, and, and appearing to be these people that are on the right side. But they're on the wrong side. They're working for the real enemy. That's looking to steal, kill, and destroy any way he can. You know, what's, what's the, the greatest way to uh, destroy a nation? I, I mean, many people say from within. That's how Rome fell, right? I mean, their, their morals. I mean, they, they, they started to fall within. Uh, America, that's happening to us now. Amen. It has been. Yeah. I mean, that, 
get, so how, how is it going to happen if, if it happens that way to nations, if it happens that way to groups and organizations? Uh, we were talking the other day, and, and I may have already shared this before, but um, the, the, the company Blockbuster, right? Many people remember Blockbuster. We used to go to Blockbuster because, I mean, they had everything. They had, they had the selection that you wanted. I mean, you could go to D&D Video, but you, weren't, you, you might not find what you needed to find there. So you went to Blockbuster, right? It was the place to go. And soon after uh, DVDs started coming out, there was another uh, mail order company that came on the scene, right? Anybody know the name of that mail order DVD? Netflix. Netflix, right? So, uh, and then this company started to really rise in the technology world, and people thought they were crazy, including me, when the CEO started saying things like this. Everybody will be going to digital downloads. You know what that company name was? Who? Or the CEO's name? Apple. Steve Jobs. That's right. He got up there and he was talking about the iPod and he was talking about how everybody is going to go to digital downloads. Even one day when bandwidth and everything else gets, big, gets, gets large enough, even movies. And people are like, that's crazy. We'll never get rid of our DVDs. I saw a picture the other day of, of somebody holding the, the CD thing, right? You fold, you know, you, the, the album, the CD albums that you put all your CDs in. I still have some. I got one in my office right now. I haven't touched it in like five or six years or more. But a lot of people um, were, were really, you know, questioning this, um, this method, this, this, uh, uh, this download. Blockbuster was one. They got, the D, they got on the DVD bandwagon because as soon as uh, DVDs come out, you'd go to Blockbuster. And they would have like the rows of rentals, right? I mean, they'd have the stock because that, that would be the problem. Go to D&D Video, they only had two. And Saginaw... Look, they're gone like that, you know. So you go to Blockbuster, and they might like seven or eight copies of that. Well, as soon as people started realizing what Steve Jobs said was right, and that people started downloading music, and then downloading music videos, and then as it got better and faster, you know, movies eventually started to be downloaded, and then Blockbuster started to slowly become irrelevant. And people start, stopped frequenting the stores because this other company called Netflix. You could just order it and it would show up at your, your door, right? Well, Netflix was a little bit different than Blockbuster because Blockbuster would say, you know what, we're, we're, people are not going to get rid of their DVD players. People are not going to stop doing I mean, they've got these collections and we're going to continue down this road. Netflix, seeing, their CEO, seeing a little bit further in the future, said, you know what, we're going to change our model. We're going to start preparing to go completely online downloads because people don't want to wait, right? Redboxes eventually started coming on the scene. People don't want to wait for Netflix to deliver their, their things so they couldn't compete with Redbox stuff and other stuff like that. So Netflix jumps ahead of everybody. And so we're going to go completely digital. We're going to stop mailing DVDs. We're going to stop mailing CDs and games completely digital. Well, what, we all know the story. Anybody know where a Blockbuster video is? I have no idea where one is. I think they're gone completely. How many people in here have Netflix? Several people across the room. Right? So um, I have no idea why I shared that story. No, I'm just joking. 
<laughs> I'm, just, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> some people miss it. You know, some people completely miss it uh, and miss the opportunity. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people in, in the world that are falling for false teaching, false teachers. Uh, they're, not, they're not getting it. They're, they're missing it. A lot of people are falling for these false teachers and these, 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 these false prophets because of this main reason right here. Emotional appeal. Emotional appeal that's guised in spiritual experience. And so, so many people will watch them on, on TV. So many people will listen to them on podcasts, which again is a digital thing, you know. Many people will, will, will do these things. The logical rationale that's often put out, it appeals to the flesh. Stirring up the flesh to mimic this spiritual experience is no new thing, though. Right? To, to stir up the flesh to, in an emotional appeal to, that mimics a spiritual experience is nothing new. Listen, I, I've no doubt have heard songs and have been in situations where someone was preaching and, and, and I felt like, you know, just a swell inside and the spirit move and, and, and you know, what we say, God bumps, you know, all over. I, I'm not saying that, that, that that's not a, a spiritual experience. I'm not saying that. Because I'm not God and I don't know people's hearts and I don't, I don't, I'm not the spirit of God, none of that stuff. But I do know this, there's a lot of stuff that appeals to the flesh, that feels like spirit, but it's completely fleshly. Amen. And because people say they have God bumps, it's automatically spiritual. That's not necessarily true. Just because it causes tears to come to our eyes doesn't necessarily mean that it's spiritual. I'm not saying that's not, but there's a lot out there that is not spiritual at all. See, it was happening in Jesus' day, and it was happening wrongly. It was happening in Paul's day, and it was happening wrongly. Again, he was telling the Corinthian church, look, there's people out there that are, guide, that are disguised. They're agents of Satan himself, who also transforms himself into a minister, a servant of light. I mean, he can look like that he still serves God. I mean, and his agents, his servants, do the same exact thing. So where would these people operate? Where, where would they operate? Well, they would operate inside the Lord's church. If you're going to try to destro destroy something, as I said earlier, you're going to try to destroy it from within. You're going to be oblivious like Blockbuster. Oh, nothing's wrong. We don't have to change anything. We don't have to be aware of any, anything that's coming against us. And that's the, that's the major mistake that many Christians are making today still because it's happened throughout the church's history. Listen, God without question works supernaturally in the natural, Wor works with us. People being born again, people uh, it, it, healing. I, I, we went up to see Brother D yesterday, and, and I walked in the room, and I was like, holy moly, praise God. I mean, I don't know if moly can be holy, but man, that, I would praise the Lord. Man, I walked in the room, and the doctor's talking to him, and, and doing like an evaluation. This is the neurosurgeon that, that's done all this stuff, and and he's talking to him, and these eyes are wide open, and he's blinking, and, and uh, he, he shook his head a couple times, and doctor was telling him to do different things. You guys got to understand, I was up there just recently, 
praying with the family as they were meeting with the doctors. And the doctor's telling them, you guys need to make a choice within 24 hours if we're going to pull the plug or not. So uh, Miss Mary says, well, be honest with me. What are the percentages? What's the chances that he has? If we pull the ventilator out right now, what is the chances? He said with people in his condition, he's got a 30% chance to live. And they held on to that 30%. They said, you know, he's only been in here for nine days at that point. And so we just, we don't feel like that we need to make that decision. We want to pray, we want to seek God's wisdom. And that's exactly what I told him. I said, listen, if you don't have peace from God, you need to continue to pray. You need to continue to seek God's face because if God says not yet, it's not yet. Even if the doctors say that. And so, uh, now I believe wholeheartedly, if that's the case, you could pull that out and no, nothing would change. I mean, God, God is able to do that. But until you have peace to do or act on something, don't do anything. And so we left that. We prayed in that room after the doctors left. We walked over to his bedside. We put our hands on. We prayed. And I'm telling you what, it's been one progression after the next. I'm not saying it was our prayers. I'm saying it's been the prayers of the saints of God. I, I'm saying it's been, Amen. And, and Rochelle and I walked out of there with tears. Rochelle couldn't hardly compose herself because of the amazing improvement. Based off of what you hear in, in, the, in the emails and, and, and he's not moving and he's, he's barely responding and then he's got a little bit of here. And I'm telling you, I walked around his bed where he could see me and his eyes got big. His, a smile came across his face. Uh, he reached his hand up. I grabbed his hand. And I mean, it was, I mean, he was, he was squeezing and rubbing and and I was giving him a hard time. I was, I was joking with him. And he was, he was responding to my joking around. He would smile. Um, and I'm just like, that's phenomenal. I, I kept looking at Mary like, I can't believe this. I mean, I, I don't know why I can't believe it. This is amazing. Answered prayer. She said, they're looking at moving him. And I was like, golly, that's phenomenal. From just a few days, you know, in comparison. He's... You know, uh, man, praise the Lord. So there's no doubt that God works supernaturally in our lives in the natural realm. But it always lines up with Scripture. And it's never confusing. It never separates or divides the unity that the Spirit gives to the body of Christ. Never. The work of God doesn't. Now Satan knows this. Satan knows this real well. And as the master deceiver, the father of lies, as he looks to destroy, he looks to divide. He looks to defeat the kingdom of God, the church, in his most effective ways. Is the same exact way that he came when he came to Adam and Eve as a subtle serpent. I mean, think about this. You know, you've probably heard it before, but Satan didn't come to Adam and Eve like a bear or a lion or, or something real scary and ugly. He didn't have a red, you know, red uh, outfit on and pitchfork. I mean, he didn't come like that. He came as a subtle serpent. And again, that must have been common in the Garden of Eden. I don't know how I would have reacted to that. I know how I react to serpents today. Um, so I don't know that Satan and I would have had that conversation. Um, but he came and... and he came this subtle way, and he still comes today disguised as a servant of light. The deception is so strong, I believe, in the American church today. Satan's deception is so strong 
that professing Christians actually have bought the lie that this eternal relationship with Christ actually exists without a serious, committed, fully engaged walk with him and his body. That's what it is. So many, you, you walk across people who say, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven. Well, well where are you engaged? What, what body? What, what, what church? Oh, I don't, I don't think you have to go to church. How do you have a relationship with Christ? Well, me and God, we have our own No, you don't. That, that's, that's from the father of lies. There's nowhere in Scripture. that Nowhere in Scripture can, can a person have a relationship with Christ apart from his body. That's his body. You've heard me say before, like a headless body and a bodiless head. That doesn't exist. The Bible tells us very clearly in the New Testament that Christ is the head of the church. That we are the body of Christ. There's no separation. When we have a relationship with him, and that's what he says. He says that you can't have fellowship with him. That we, that we even don't have fellowship one with another without him. And there's no fellowship vice versa. It's all connected. Separate God from his kingdom. That's what we try to do. No, 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 no. That's what the enemy's trying to do. And that's what we buy. I'm not saying us, but many in the American church today buy that. I don't have to be fully engaged, fully committed to the body of Christ. Who, like, where does that come from? My, my question to anybody who says, I don't think I have to be at every, I don't think I have to be engaged in what the church is doing. I don't, I don't have to do this. I don't have to. My, my, my response to that is this. Show me where and we'll stop talking about it. And, 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 and at any point in time, say, so, okay, I'll, I'll listen then. I'll show you hundreds of scriptures where it talks about being engaged, being connected, serving using gifts to edify each other not forsaking on and on and on and on and again i'm preaching to a wednesday night crowd but i'm saying we in a, in a wednesday night service have got to be the strong ones that are alert to the subtle ways of the enemy the subtle deceptions of the enemy it's not that big of a deal if i don't let's stop let's stop buying lies let's stop giving into our flesh let's stop doing that why because every time we do that we give that that space to the enemy and he's real. It's a real enemy. That's why I believe when we look at the church today in America, it's so weak. Man, our church sees God moving in miraculous ways a lot. I mean, there's, again, Brother D, we've seen Miss Grizel, we've seen Miss Debbie, we've seen over and over and over Miss Jade. There's, there's lots of people that have dealt with major illnesses and diseases and, 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 and other stuff going on, and God has, has intervened. There's no doubt he's working in our church. And if that's the case, if, if God is really working and answering prayers and, and people are being saved and, 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 and couples like we just saw this past Sunday are getting baptized, let's not be naive to think that the enemy is not doing everything he can do to keep us powerless and ineffective and weak and deceived. I promise you he is. And if he can do it in, in, in ways that really don't seem that harm, harmful to us, when we, we have responses like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Well, how about let's make the kingdom of God the biggest deal? Let's do that. That's what Jesus did, right? He died he, and instituted his kingdom like that. 
if the God of all creation, our Savior and our Lord, gave his life for this kingdom, for this body, for his church, shouldn't that be the most important thing that we're a part of in this world? That's what I'm saying. I mean, we, we put more emphasis on sports teams than we do the kingdom of God. What are we doing? What, what, what are we doing as the followers of Jesus Christ, of the, as the children of God? What are we doing? We, we try to, to dumb down and, and degrade and, and demote the kingdom of God, the church, in this world. We buy the lies that the, that the enemy is propagating. The church, everything about it, should be the most important things that we're a part of because they're eternal. Listen, I'm not talking about to the pervert, perverted level of, of, uh, of the Catholic church, and I, I said it, because that's what, that's what ended up happening. The church goes along, and, and, it, and it begins to become a state church under Constantine. And he begins to say, everybody, well, because up until that point, Christians were persecuted. They were being put to death. And so under, under him, they find some, some haven, some rest, some protection. The church begins to flourish, but it's wrong because it's not led in the right way. End up going down the completely man-made way. And as they would, would see lands uh, conquered throughout time uh, for the cause of Christ, which certain sects of, of, of priests would do, um, and these people would be converted into that church, guess what would happen? Those pagan rituals and pagan gods would be adopted into the church as well. And that's what, that's what became the history of the Catholic Church. Well, guess what? Time goes on, and there's some men that say, you know what? This is all wrong. There are several men that had different ideas, so much so that it, it's this, several, several of them broke off from the state church. What we know is the Reformation. But you know what was going on even before the Reformation? There were people that were still being martyred because they were still trying to follow Jesus Christ. But out of that, you have various you know, denominations and people claiming affiliation with this group and that group and all this kind of stuff. Well, guess what? We have the church of the living God. We are, the, we are His church. We are the, 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 the body that He says... No matter what happens, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Where we get messed up is the same place the church has got messed up throughout its history. And when we start defining what we should and shouldn't do versus clinging to the scriptures. And that's what's happening today. It's happening even in churches like ours. And so you're, you're calling for like, uh, like a a complete, like, total, you know, allegiance. I'm not, that's scripture. That's not me. That's what Jesus said. Unless a man forsake all that he has, he can't be my disciple. So when we look at why maybe our families are weak, why maybe our churches are weak, maybe we're not holding the regard of, of our relationship with God, of, of his word, of his body in a high enough regard. Maybe it's because we've bought the lies that the enemy has propagated and we know that the church down the street or this church or the church that our cousin or our brother or, or so-and-so goes to, they don't do this and they do that. We start, by, let's, let's just be the people of the word. Let's hold to that. Let's, let's esteem it the way that we should.
This deception has spread so effectively that many, maybe even in our church, negotiate their attendance upon not just worship services, but what we're doing as a church. And negotiate their commitment, their service to the king, to the God who forgave them, to the God that made them accepted in the beloved and gave them eternal life, begin to try to negotiate what he is okay with and what he's not okay with. Let's get this in perspective, okay? Those first Christians, they died for it. They gave their lives for it. When, when they were put to the test, they could have, and some of them did who weren't, I mean, I don't know their heart. I don't know, you know, God does. But when it was put to the test, they gave their life for the Savior who died for them. They sacrificed their lives to give the gospel, to see the gospel furthered. They gave their lives up. They gave up their world. They gave up their will to embrace his world and his will. Now we say we, we have a Savior, and, and many people claim that He is their Lord, but the reality is He looks a lot less like a Lord in many people's lives today. Because what does a Lord do? A Lord calls the shots, and the servant follows. But so often we try to call the shots and ask God to show up and bless it anyways. I'm just going to stay home. God, please heal my brother, sister, mother, aunt, Father, God, God, please show up for me in my life, but I'm just not going to make your stuff as important as, as what's going on in my, st in my life. It's just not quite as important for me to, to be engaged at what he, like, the level he's talking about because I've got so much going on. I want God to, but we want him to show up in, in, in the moment that we need him, in the instant that we need him to deliver and to help us. That, to me, sounds more like a genie than a Lord. This is the deception that many have bought today in the church. Again, Satan's been extremely effective at spreading this message. And you know how he does it? He does it subtly. And, and, and he does it with other people, right? Because if you know that somebody else does it and it's not that big of a deal, there you go. It's the same thing that happens when we're in elementary school, right? Some of you never cheated on a, on a quiz or a test or a paper. I can't stand here and say that I never cheated. I can't. But if, if, if you, like me, have ever been caught, what, what sometimes is the justification? Well, they were cheating too. They do it all the time. Did they get in trouble? Like that's that's so what's changed from our adult Christian lives? Like they well, they're doing it and they're getting by with it. Who cares what they're doing? We're following Jesus. We've got to remember, we're gonna to have to close tonight, ask the musicians to come, but we've got to remember that the enemy's real. And he's formidable. Look, if, if he could deceive, 
Adam and Eve, if he could deceive Eve who had never sinned, she had no idea what it was to please her flesh and to sin. She had no idea what it would feel like to, to cross that line. She had never experienced it before. So she couldn't be tempted in that way. She couldn't, she couldn't be tempted with the, the, the pleasure of sin because she had never experienced the pleasure of sin, even if it was for a season. She couldn't be tempted with that. She had to be tempted in, in her weaknesses, uh, which obviously she didn't know that she had because she gave in to them. If Satan can do that with, with a group of people who never sinned, Know that he is still effective and he's formidable today. Our only hope against him. Listen, our only hope is to cling to Christ. And what does that look like? I, I would submit tonight it looks like this. Wholeheartedly going his way. Doing it his way. Now, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about absolute Complete abandon, obedience, and allegiance to the King of Kings. Trusting Him alone. Trusting Him alone. My heart hurts. If, if, if a, a person's heart can hurt. For our Lord's heart. Because I, I think about what He might feel like whenever we use and abuse him the way that we do. God, I, I want to give you what I want to give you. I realize you gave me all. Not only did you give your all to give me your all, and one day you will give me everything. I will be joint heirs with Christ. Not only that, but you give everything I need right now to live for you. But I only want to give you this at this time in this way what would it look like if a church gave everything to the God that gave everything for them I think it would look a lot like the first church did they had power God moved in miraculous ways that, that the world could not that they couldn't explain they, they couldn't argue against I would just say this, as long as we are negotiating with God, as long as we don't think the enemy's real and that his, his plan is working against us because we're buying these lies that it's okay to give God anything less than complete allegiance, then we won't experience that. I don't know about you, but I read it in Scripture, and it comes alive to me, and I'm like, man, I want to be a part of that. That's what we are a part of. It's the same spirit. It's the same body. It's the same kingdom, same God. It's all the same things, and yet we're not experiencing what we could be. Why? Is it God's fault? If it's not, then just like when a team has to evaluate, is it the coach's problem or is it the team's problem? Man, let's, let's figure it out because I want to get into it because the end time is coming and I want to be that church that is sprinting through the finish line. I want to be the church that's given our, our all at the very end and God says to all of us, well done, good and faithful servants. Y'all ran. Y'all gave your all. You did everything you could. Even when nobody else around you was doing it, you gave your all for me. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I want that for y'all. I want that for us. Let's realize the enemy's real. Let's remember that. Let's give our all for the Lord, leaning on his resources. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for tonight, Lord. Thank you for this reminder that we have a real enemy. And I know even 
preaching like this and, and, and this, this step, if we, if we were to take it, of complete allegiance would not be without opposition. Lord, I realize that even tonight if people make decisions and they say we're going to stop making excuses or we're going to start being more committed or we're going to start being more engaged, we're going to give God our all. I realize tonight that if decisions like that are made, I understand that the enemy is going to come against those decisions. I know the enemy is going to try to deceive and he's going to try to attack. He's going to try to discourage. He's going to try to do everything he can do to keep us from that. I just pray that we'll remember that he's real. I just pray that we'll remember this message tonight that he's not going to want that to happen. And he's going to try everything he can to keep it from happening because he knows he's seen throughout history what happens when, when your church does that. It's unstoppable. He can't do anything to stop it. But if he can keep it from going, then he can keep it from happening. And so, Lord, help us tonight have the faith, have the strength, the commitment, the resolve to give you all, to not hold back, to not give excuse, to not negotiate, but to give you our very best, to make your kingdom the most important thing we're a part of. Not our jobs, not anything temporal in this world, not even our own life that we've set up for ourselves. Your kingdom, the life you've given us, is the most important. Lord, help us live like that. Help us keep our eyes on you and cling to, the, to your word, operate in your spirit, cling to each other. Lord, that we could see you do great things. We praise you. I pray you just move now in this invitation. Help us respond rightly in Jesus' name. Amen.